I'll invite you now to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. As there have been many probably difficult sermons that I've had through the years, this one may be the most difficult um, because it it's a direct... Um, I mean, there's been difficult passages as it relates to uh, elders and qualification and the job of and position of being an elder and a pastor, but and as personal as that is, this too is is as much personal, if not m- more, as we address the godly role of parents in the home. And as unqualified as I've been to preach about uh, the office of elder and pastor. I don't know, I feel maybe more unqualified to preach to you about being a godly parent. But I was thankful as I was preparing this to keep in mind that as we will see and we get to the crescendo of this passage will not be something that we may do, but something that we receive in Christ. And so I'm thankful for the gospel and its salve that it is upon a weary pilgrim who battles daily with his own sin. But we do continue to address Paul's epistle, and it's important to remind us that we're here uh, speaking about the earthly reality of the mediatorial role or rule of Christ in his people, through his people, in his church, through his church, and here through parents. And we have discussed the general precepts for all Christians to follow in Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. And we've been focusing on these more specific life circumstances that began there in the verse 22, where we began to speak about marriage and husbands and wives. And then last week we uh, looked at children and parents. And this week we'll look at parents and children. Next week, slaves and masters and maybe Uh, finish out this section also. But we recognize that these are all couched in Paul's final or general exhortation where he encouraged them to be, exhorted them to be filled with the Spirit, which led to to mutual subjection. And we said this mutual subjection doesn't um, level or doesn't remove all role distinctions within the Christian life but enhances them such that Scripture not only addresses wives being subject to their husbands, but husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And such as we'll see this morning, not that children should just be obedient to their parents, but that parents should love their children, that they should raise them up or bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so we'll see the same as it relates to slaves and masters, so that we see in the kingdom of God that, that, that though there are role distinctions, there are no hierarchies as to those who serve the Lord, but that we all approach God in fear and trembling. We all approach God in need of grace. And so as, we, as I read Ephesians chapter 6, I'll beginning, beginning in verse 1 and through verse 4, and, but we'll only be addressing verse 4 this morning. Follow along as I read for us. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray this morning. O Lord, we come before you this morning and ask your help as we come before your word. That you, by your spirit, would work in us further life. That we, as your new creatures, would be transformed and conformed by your word. That this preaching would work according to your good and perfect purposes. Lord, that you would bridle my tongue to speak your truth, that all praise, honor, and glory would be given to you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, for those that were able to make it last week, you had the distinct privilege in this day and age with all the technology to be uh, the one and only hearers of that sermon. Uh, we had an audio problem that prevented it from being recorded. And it's the way the Lord works because I received many a compliment on it. So I can't hold on to that sermon and say, hey, listen to this one. It was really good. You had to be here, I guess. But in light of that, I thought it might be fitting to cover a couple of the highlights or points that we covered last week so that as we come into this understanding of not provoking our children to anger, but bringing them up in the discipline and structure, instruction of the Lord. Our children who sit here among us would remember that their job now is not to take notes and audit their parents, but remember that their role is to obey their parents. Ian Hamilton said, as we addressed it under the three headings of love, faith, and hope, he said, fathers and mothers are God's appointed representatives to exercise his authority in the home. That will be very much applicable to us this morning. That refusal to obey and honor parents is rebellion against God. Parents are not perfect and will make mistakes. But children should be able to cope with their parents' failures when they see how much their parents love them. And this morning we'll see the shape of that love as it relates to parents. And that uh, Paul is not speaking about a bare, grudging, enforced obedience, but rather he is encouraging obedience that is the fruit of a heart that honors parents. And then we saw this idea of faith, and Michael Allen was our helpful guide there. He said, in this regard, obeying a parent manifests faith, not primarily in that parent, in him or herself, but in the triune God, even more specifically in Jesus Christ. For Lord here likely refers to the second person of the Trinity as in Paul's typical usage. And then we found hope. Hope that is not to be found in temporal future, but in an eternal country, an eternal land that has been won for us through the obedience of the Son. And so this morning as we look at verse 4, we'll be looking at it under uh, three headings and then a conclusion. The first heading is a note about the structure. The second is a look at the precept in general. And then we'll have five exhortations. And then finally, in conclusion, let us not lose heart. First, we would look at it under its structure. The structure of Paul's instruction here 
begins with prohibition and then ends in precept. That he moves from uh, the spirit-filled submitting of one another, as we referenced, as I referenced in the introduction, that whereby within the differing roles within the household, we have the children's submission in the form of obedience to parents and the parents' submission in the form of self-denying parenting. So it begins with the prohibition, a denial of ourselves, that we would not discipline our children and that we would not bring them up in a way that provokes them to anger. And we'll look at that more specifically later. But in general, this prohibition is to remind us that this is a submitting to one another. In our role as parents is to be marked by self-denial. As a matter of fact, it begins first in the physiology of, um, of being pregnant. For the mother is the first one to exercise this because in the body and in pregnancy, the body is so committed to the nurturing of that child that it will rob nutrients from the mother in order to provide for the child. So it just you'll see your, if you ever had a dental appointment during your pregnancy, you might find that you have more cavities or have a cavity when you're not normally prone to it. You'll find that your bones feel differently because your body is so committed to the nourishing of this child that it, it robs from you. And so we see that in parenting, that our first role in parenting is to deny ourselves. And it isn't that we would starve so that our children may eat, though there is virtue to that, but that our first response to this as we are following along Paul's argument is one of denial, is one of prohibition. So that when we get to the precept, we are able to see that this prohibition is because we tend towards these things so that we would deny themselves and mortify the flesh so that as we are brought to life, there's vivification of this new life in the spirit that leads to bringing them up in the discipline discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so, as I said last week, it leads that parents need to often ask themselves, am I making it easy for my children to honor and obey me? And so let's look at this precept in general in light of that. It says that we are to bring them up there in Ephesians 6 verse 4. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of of the Lord. This is a whole person project. You know, it's interesting. It's here uh, in Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, 20 and 21 are, are very isolated passages as it relates to parenting. It is common to um, most people to have children and parent children, and the Bible addresses it in the New Testament sparingly. Something to think about as we come to Scripture that when we read it here, we don't read all that there is to teach about parenting in Ephesians chapter 6. But Paul sums it up under these words that, they would, that he would bring them up. And this idea of bring them up is related to his word to husbands. 
Because the same word or verb is being used in 5.29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. That same verb for nourishes is translated here, bring them up. So we are to nourish our children. It's a whole person project. We're not just focused on corrective discipline, but also formative Formative discipline is that practice of admonishing, encouraging, and teaching in righteousness. We know corrective discipline. It's the correction. It's where we say, you have done wrong. Here's the consequence. But the formative discipline is what happens in between your corrective discipline. It's a practice of admonishing and encouraging and teaching in righteousness so that we would not be mistaking that parenting is just about correcting our kids, but it's actually about forming them. It's a formative, it's a whole person project. So this precept in general, we see that they are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul uses this language and he uses this idea of provoke your children to anger and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord because Paul was a student of the Old Testament. And so you may not be surprised that we would turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 now. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're almost there in our Old Testament scripture reading. Lord is, through Moses, is giving... Uh, these commands, as we've said, this second law, the second giving of the law to the people of Israel, now preparing them to live in a land, preparing them to live in a land surrounded by hostile nations, or at least nations hostile to God and his worship. And he tells them that this, in, in verse 1, this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments with the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess, so that you... And your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. And then 6.3 begins what is put on every doorpost of a Jewish home or a, a conservative Jewish home. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, or, O Israel, you shall listen and be careful to do it. And it, it may be well with you, and you may supply, multiply greatly, just as the Lord your God, your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4, the Shema, because that's here, O Israel, is the, uh, here is the Hebrew word. Shema is the Hebrew word. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your might, and these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It, and then it says, then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a great and splendid cities which you shall not build. And he goes on and it says that 
they will ask, what happened? Your children are going to ask you. They, when, then you, it says, when your son, in verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean, which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt, up from Egypt from, with a mighty hand. Again, it goes on and it talks about children asking their parents, what, what's going on here? Why are, why are these festivals in place? Why are we sacrificing this lamb? Why are we caring for it in a certain way? Why does it have to be a certain way? And here is the instruction to the Israelites to do such things. But we see this and we know that there's something more here than just commandment to the Israelites. But we see here as it relates to us in Christ, we see a precept that we too are to teach the things of the Lord to our children. And we're to do it in such a way that it's like our kids when they were born jumped into a pool. That our house is a pool of the Lord and they jump into the house in this pool and you can't jump in a pool without getting wet. And so it is as we bring up our children, they should, they should come to an understanding of who God is, what God has done, who, what God has done in, in our lives as parents. And so as we form them, we are to impress upon them the things of God. And be careful as we impress upon them that, as we'll see, we don't press upon them the things of God, but impress upon them them. This was a, a quick look at this general precept of God that it is a whole person project to raise children. That we are not just concerned with these specific times of correction or instruction, but it is a whole project. And this is why I think parenting is so difficult because it relies, if, it's a whole, if we're forming a whole person, it takes a whole person to do so. And certainly... Uh, we have learned that along the way. And so what is this whole person project? What does it mean to not provoke our children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Well, I've come up with five exhortations relating to this. There's certainly many more that could be written or brought out about it, but these five, I thought, were important for us today. And we're going to use Paul's structure of pro prohibition and precept as we look at these five exhortations. And so the first one is performing versus forming. Performing versus forming. Parents often focus on their child's success over their child's formation. And what does it mean that we are not to provoke our children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, is that we, our focus would be on their formation and not their performance. And it's often that our focus on our child's performance or success really is, is a self-centered, it's not a self-denial, it's a self-centered focus in our, parent, our parenting because it affirms our own worth as parents. We, we, we see in our children's success, we know this, we see it on, if you've ever been on a little league sports field, we see it so often that uh, a parent is living through their children's success. It's not that we shouldn't 
encourage our kids to be successful. It's not that we shouldn't praise our kids for their success, but if our focus and attention is, is our goal is, is success or performance in that way, then we're, we're laying aside or abdicating the role of being a former of a person to form our children. It's often the case that this focus on performance creates a hindrance to the more clear imperative of spiritual formation. Consider our confession. And if you've never read the opening introduction, I would encourage you to do so because in the introduction, it says to the ju judicious and impartial reader. At the very end or near the end, it, get, it goes through all these things of their intent on why they wrote this confession. And near the end, they said, this was the other reason why we wrote this. Verily, there is one spring and cause of the decay of religion in our day, which we cannot but touch upon and earnestly urge a redress of. Consider the milieu, the time of the writing, that early or that late 17th century. So we usually praise Puritan era things and oh man, the kids were obedient then and they knew how to do it right and all these things and listen to what their concern was. They, they must touch upon and earnestly urge a redress of and that is the neglect of the worship of God in families by those to whom the charge and conduct of them is committed. May not the gross ignorance and instability of many with the profaneness of others, be justly charged upon their parents and masters who have not trained them up in the way wherein they ought to walk when they were young, but have neglected those frequent and solemn commands which the Lord hath laid upon them, so to catechize and instruct them that their tender years might be seasoned with the knowledge of the truth of God as revealed in the scriptures. Consider uh, the example we have in horticulture. In a tree, you have an opportunity while it's a sapling to direct that tree or to shape that tree. But when it's a full tree, think about bending that tree and, and forming it and shaping it in a direction you might want it to go. It, it, it's not that it's impossible, but it's improbable. And it's certainly an, an idea that you would have missed a more opportunistic time in their life when they were younger. And so it is that if we spend our time focusing on performance and to the detrimental of formation in these things, then we're at an imbalance and we're certainly going contrary to scripture as it's as we exposit this understanding of provoking our children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's interesting, as, we read, as you read through the Proverbs, you'll read something of, of uh, success or natural common things where usually when you train up a child in the way that he goes, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, that is a, a common wisdom thing. That is a, that is a general precept of what of what could happen when you raise your children. But as it relates to us, as it says to the, as it says well in our confession, it says that let it not be due to our gross ignorance. 
Let it not be due to our instability. Let it not be due to our profaneness. You know when it says profaneness there, I, I, can, I don't hesitate to say, to, to understand that they're talking about the Lord's Day. They're talking about profaning the fourth commandment. And so, as we can even see it in our days, and it was in their day also, that so many conflicts of performance conflict with the Lord's day. But if we're committed to the formation of our children, it may, may, it, may it be not even considered that these things would be proper to do on such days as these. Because we're committed to the formation of our children, not just the success in their performance. And it's not an either or, but sometimes it is. And we must be honest to admit that as parents. So performing versus forming is our first exhortation. Our second one is severity versus clarity. This understanding of provoking our children to anger is that we would not be harsh in our punishment. That our punishment would not come out of self-centered offense. And that is our anger is wells up in us and the passions of our own uh, nature well within us that our punishment would not be meted accordingly. That the severeness of our, of our discipline would not be related to anything but the formation as we go back and we'll see these being interconnected but to the formation of our children so that we would be clear in our discipline. Our discipline is not just um, arbitrary, and may it not be arbitrary. One of these things is instability and consistency, and we'll talk about being arbitrary, but as it relates to this, that being harsh and severe in our punishment is contrary to bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord that we would remember that their offense to us, though they would discipline our rules and our statutes and our commands, is only but a drop in the bucket to the offense they've made to the, to the creator and sustainer of all things, so that our punishment would be meted and even tempered accordingly. Proverbs 22, 20, and 21 says, Have I not written to you? excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you. This is Solomon writing in the Proverbs and it's, and he's saying to, and he's, it's largely written to the next generation and he's saying that they would know with certainty that his dispelling of wisdom, his discipline, his raising up, that they may know the certainty of the words of truth. May it be that our children would not leave our house just knowing that they should never cross mom or dad. Don't, don't ever cross them. May, not, may that not be the guiding principle of our raising up of our children but that our punishment would not be severe, but it would be clear that our discipline would be such. Performing versus forming, severity versus clarity, hubris versus humility. It comes down to 
saying it something like this, that we could come to our kids and promote to them that we know all things. The dad has, our mom has, an answer for all things, so we know all things. That there's nothing new to us. There's nothing for us to learn. And we may find that our kids, as they grow older, and maybe you knew this as you related to your own parents, if they were like that in any way, that you learned at some age that that wasn't true, that that was a lie, that that was just hubris, that, that they were just blowing smoke. But may we come to our children, not that we know all things, but that we know some things. And those some things that we know, we learned. We, didn't, we weren't just born with the things we know, but often the times, and kids, you can listen to this too, because the things your parents are trying to teach you are usually things that they've learned the hard way. And so we're trying to impress upon you guys wisdom learned, often through much suffering and pain. And so we're also working that out. And so you can have patience with us in that way. Consider, again, Solomon in Proverbs. And this you probably know well, like many of us, but uh, Proverbs chapter 3. But consider it in light of this uh, humility. My son, do not forget my teaching, verse 1, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. What is then the basis upon this that the, the, the writer of these wisdoms says? He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Consider Solomon's words here that he's not only saying that to his kid, he's saying that to his son in light of his own life. We can read Ecclesiastes and see where he learned about being wise in his own eyes. Vanity of vanities, he said of such things. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That should be our banner as parents. That we would not be wise in our own eyes, but that we would be trusting in the Lord with all our hearts. Martin Bucer says that this means that above all else, they should learn to fear the Lord and thus be taught to reject their natural inclinations. To be always suspicious of accepting whatever enters their heads and to accept the guidance they need without complaining. No one can come to a life worthy of God unless he, be, unless he leaves behind the life he was born with. As it relates to us as parents, if we're communicating this to our children, let us talk about what we've left behind. Let us talk about what we've learned in humility. Let us talk about our natural inclinations. Let us talk why we have to be suspicious of accepting whatever enters our head. So that as we teach our children, they too may gain from such humility and wisdom. Performing versus forming 
Severity versus clarity, hubris versus humility, instability versus consistency. This is where we get more to the exact words of Ephesians chapter 6, where this idea of provoking your children to anger. Exasperate is another word that could be used for provoke. Brian Chappell says an exasperated child is one who has a right to be provoked because of the incongruities between a parent's stated beliefs and that parent's actual behaviors. We ask many things of our kids. Do we seek to model those before them consistently? Are our kids coming to us with trying to first figure out what mood our parent is in before they're going to know any range of responses. Let us lay aside our, well, to be sober-minded is not to be carried away by our emotions. So let us let our emotions be only uh, good servants because they are terrible masters. Brian Chappell also says, one cause would be authority that requires submission but submits to none. We ask our kids to submit to our obedience, but do we submit to those that are in authority over us? Do we, do we give explanation to, to these things to our kids? Do we show them a disregard for authority so that they may know that it's all relative, that their obedience to us is only relative to certain factors? There are factors that are relative to their obedience as it relates to the word of God and being obedient to God rather than man. But in other things that we would be submissive in a way that would convey to them as we garner or we uh, ask their submission to us. How about when a parent tells a child to quit whining by whining at them? There's an instability. There's a provoking. Or when a father compels self-control by throwing a temper tantrum. There's nothing worse than an adult who throws a temper tantrum and then requires their child to control themselves better. Instability versus consistency. Let us be stable for our children in that way and so not provoke them to anger. The fifth one is domination versus delegation. This comes from this understanding that we are to raise up or bring up Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Disciplining as God's delegates. That we are not to dominate our children. Such that we are uh, despots to our children. A despot has no ear for his people. A despot considers nothing but his own desires and his own needs and his own wants. And it seeks it to the detriment of anybody in the way. We are not to dominate our children, but we are to see our authority as delegated from God. To be a father specifically is to borrow a title, is to borrow a title of that first person of the triune God, God the Father. And so it's, a call to be an earthly father to relinquish our own preferences or dreams. That one, 
that we that one might be fully invested in summoning one's child to something greater not merely to family customs but to divine callings you know we do have some specific things to our own immediate family that we do and we encourage in our kids and 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 we certainly require it of them while they're in the home but if our eyes are on furthering the Perkins or furthering your own family customs and it's not on their uh, th something greater for your children, then you may regard these customs as something immutable and something not to be changed. But if not, we're able to recognize that our, our authority is delegated from God. And so in this regard... We are to love self-sacrificially, that we give of ourselves so as to sanctify each other. Here, we can constrain our own likes and our own foibles that we might manifest in our children the ways of the Lord and not merely of your own household. We hold an interpersonal authority with respect to children, but parenting is nonetheless a form of submission with and to others, for it becomes an occasion for self-denial and self-renunciation before the Lord. Our authority before our children should be marked by humility, should be marked by an understanding that it's been delegated to us by God, and so that our attitude should be one of, of a directed towards the spiritual care of our children as being all important. It is possible to do all that is required, at least externally, the things like Bible readings and prayer, but to do them mechanically and clinically with little evident joy and enthusiasm is to not do them of the Lord is to provoke our children to see God as being only concerned with the external, to be not a God who comes and dwells with us and in us and through us. And so may we be exhorted this morning that we would move away from performing and see the greater purpose of formation, that we would lay down severity in our impassioned punishments to provide clarity in our discipline to our children, that we would not approach them with hubris but with humility, that we would not be unstable and arbitrary to our children but that we would be consistent in our approach and certainly that we would not domi dominate them but that we would hold our authority as authority delegated to us by God. And so that we would raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So much we may hear this morning. And as I preach it, I know how much I've fallen short to these exhortations. And I had to learn them before I came before you. And that didn't mean I had to perfect them before I came before you. But I had to learn them. And it was a tough lesson, and it continues to be a tough lesson, even as I preach them before you this morning. And so I bring this last section for my own good and for your good, that we would not lose heart 
As I said last week, as I addressed you children or us as children, that what we see in Christ, we have in Christ. So turn to Isaiah 42. In Isaiah 42, uh, prophesying of this coming servant, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Here, in prophesying the coming Messiah, who we read in other places, like in Isaiah 53, that he will see his seed or he will see his progeny and rejoice. So us, as the progeny of Christ, we have this example of his fatherly love that we read in in other prophecies that actually we'll probably use as our call to worship next week. It will be called Great Father. Why? Because Christ has exemplified this gentle and tender rearing of children. Bringing up, and we see it as he he treats his disciples with love and care and gentleness and kindness. And so what we have, what we see in Christ, we have in Christ. That we would not lose heart, that, that we that our standing before God is not measured in our ability to perfect our parent perfectly, but our standing before God is measured in Christ and continues to be measured as it relates to his perfect love for us, his perfect guidance and care for us. Philippians 2 tells us that we have the mind of Christ. And so we're we're able to see that of all these exhortations that we find that we would not lose heart. For Christ is our parent. Christ is the parent. Christ has fulfilled all that we have been required to do and without sin. So that we, as we see ourselves failing to these exhortations, would run to Christ. As many good books as there are to help you parent your children that exist out there, and probably many more that are not helpful, may it always be that we first run to Christ before we run to any earthly counselor. First run to Christ and remind ourselves of the balm of the gospel, that when we turn back to our children with this new knowledge or this renewed knowledge, we return to them with all those things. In humility, in, in the understanding of, of delegated authority, in consistency and clarity, and a focus on our children's formation. And we see, I see in a conclusion here, Paul's words in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks for these many failings that we have as parents. 
We are unworthy of the gifts of these children that you've bestowed upon us, and yet you have given them to us, entrusted them to our care. Lord, that we would live before them in the knowledge of our new life in Christ. Protect us, Lord, from all those prohibitions that so easily arise within us. These ruts in our old ways that we fall into so frequently, that as we come out of them by your power and by your grace, that we would be renewed to our children in repentance, knowing that it is you that we are seeking to please and that our standing before them is rooted in, in you so that we may raise them up in your discipline and in your instruction that another generation may give glory to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.